Welcome to the Voices of Wall Street podcast, a show uncovering the news and trends that matter most for companies and their stocks across technology, media, retail, gaming, and more. I'm Tim Stanovic. Sports are full of rivalries. They're Yankees-Red Sox, Lakers-Celtics, Michigan-Ohio State, Duke-UNC. The list goes on and on and on. Now, these rivalries are years in the making, and they're fueled by intense competition, the desire to win, and passion from fans. But now we're watching this sort of new kind of rivalry develop in the world of sports, only this time it's not between two teams. Instead, it's between two companies, and the sport is gambling. Those two companies are Penn National Gaming's Barstool Sports and DraftKings. Shares of Penn and DraftKings have exploded over the past few months as investors anticipated the return of sports and the launch of the Barstool Sports Betting app. I recently spoke to Sean Kelly, Senior Research Analyst for Gaming and Lodging at Bank of America, about his outlook for Penn, DraftKings, and also some of the casino players that are flying under their radar. Here's my conversation with Sean. Sean, it is so great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us on the Voices of Wall Street. Of course, thank you for hosting me, Tim. So in its, in its first week of launch, Barstool Sportsbook was downloaded more than 53,000 times. And, and for some context, that's more than double that of DraftKings and FanDuel's launches combined. That's according to the third-party app analytics service, Aptopia. Now, you raised your price target to $85 in response to opening weekend. What's driving your bullishness? Yeah, so look, there are a couple of things here, right? But a lot of what we saw is in lockstep with, um, you know, the raise that, uh, that, that you saw out there, right? So I think one of the critical questions for Penn and Barstool is whether or not they can convert the Barstool audience into, you know, app downloads, which will ultimately lead to deposits and bets. And what we saw over opening weekend was not just, you know, really strong download activity and, and a, a very significant, you know, kind of ability to maintain uh, its momentum throughout the weekend with the statistics that you cited, but also really strong reviews, um, which suggested to us that the technology side of this uh, was not a particularly big, you know, challenge or hurdle. And, and in an, for an initial launch, uh, you know, that was critical. So, you know, we know that Barstool has that reach. We don't know if Barstool can, you know, can, can hit that conversion. And this was the first evidence of, uh, of their ability to succeed at that. And, and I think that's why we were so encouraged by what we saw over the weekend. Okay, so what are you going to look for, this idea of conversions? I mean, it's, it's obviously, a, you know, just as important or if not more important than downloads because those are just the first step. So how confident are you in Barstool's ability to convert those into deposits and then those uh, deposits into actual bets? What are you looking for data-wise? Yeah, so data-wise, you know, one of the unique things and, and fascinating things about gaming is that we actually get relatively fast feedback from state-level gaming reports on, you know, how revenues are trending in each of the individual markets in Pennsylvania, uh, where the Barstool um, app was or Sportsbook app was first launched is going to be one of those markets where they're going to give us um, that level of detail. So by mid to kind of late October, we're going to have a sense of how did some of that download activity translate into actual revenue dollars, right? So we don't have to wait a significant period of time to, to kind of make that leap from, you know, downloads to, you know, downloads and eyeballs, if you will, to actual uh, deposits and bets. Um, so that's going to be, I think, the next big catalyst that we're looking for. But of course, between here and there, we're going to be continuing to watch 
does the app maintain its momentum? Do the review scores continue to maintain, uh, you know, uh, yeah, be that strong as, you know, more, you know, more people uh, look and use the app. So we're obviously going to keep watching both the momentum and the, uh, and eventually the revenue dollars, but it shouldn't be that long before we have a sense at least of, you know, how does this translate to actual revenues and, and, and down the line, hopefully profits. So I, I, you know, I'm probably doing this wrong because we're two questions in and I, and I haven't mentioned Dave Portnoy at this point. And I think he's, you know, synonymous at this point, of course, at least with, with, with Barstool and certainly with Penn at this point. Um, that's part of their edge, I think. The media presence, the media personalities, the people they have as part of Barstool. Uh, do you think bringing the influencer factor into sports betting, like the buzz and infatuation with Portnoy, do you think that'll cool down? Are we in some sort of bubble with, uh, what, what do they call him, day trading, Dave? <laughs> I think it's Davey Day Trader. Davey Day Trader. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, look, I think it's really hard to, to know exactly where we are in the life cycle of this as a, as a set of media personalities. But I'll tell you this. As a research analyst, when I started to do our homework, and I'm by far not a native user of either the Barstool platform, uh, you know, or the, uh, you know, or frankly, a, a, a significant sports better. Yeah, you um, and you and me both. On, you know, uh, what was that? Yeah, you and me both. I mean, this is something that uh, you know yeah. I've, I've never, you know, I, the people who are obsessed with Barstool, uh, you know, I, there are a lot of them, but I'm certainly not one of those people, and I'm, I'm not a sports better. Well, let me tell you a story. I mean, I literally had to walk out of my office and ask all of the, the, the people who sit around me. And for the most part, um, this, this occurred back in January when the initial rumors of Penn acquiring a stake in Barstool became public. And I had to actually ask, walk out of my office and ask, um, okay, idiot, you know, older guy question, <laughs> what's Barstool? And, um, you know, and of course, like, the reaction you'd expect from the cubes around me was, was obvious. It was the eye roll, oh, you've never heard of this thing. And and then I started to ask, and I'll tell you, there are a few different things that, that, that shocked me. One of them was that, um, you know, the number of women that were, you know, well aware of the content that, that this platform had created seemed to be equal to, and, and in some cases, stronger than the number of men, right? So you look at some of the, um, the podcast, you know, content that they've been able to create. Uh, they've created a brand that does reach, you know, beyond just Dave Portnoy, just beyond, uh, let's call it for, you know, uh, I guess for the for the jokes out of it, let's call it frat boy humor. Yeah, right? fair. I think that's and fair. There's some reach here beyond that. And I think that's really actually where I rolled up my sleeves and dug in. So, look, you know, I think these th this platform has, you know, done an exceptional job of continue, you know, continually creating new content that's been relevant from a media perspective. But let's just go back here, right? Sports ended for a period of time for almost two months. Live sports were, you know, virtually non-existent, and in that time, Barstool just found new and creative ways to remain relevant. And you brought up the DVD trader thing, which is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, especially if you're in the stock market. But the truth is, this was them pivoting to new content because that's where that's what they needed to do, right? And the way they've turned. Pen almost into a brand with the dollar sign. The way that they've, you know, uh, again, just kind of, just, just they, they kind of create the the us versus the world mentality. They keep doing this, and I would say, you know, perhaps peak bubble, if you will, would have been the interview with Donald Trump. But it doesn't seem like 
things slowed down heading straight into going back to their core business, which is sports. And that's what I think we saw this past weekend. So I could go on, but I think you get the point. So far, these guys are extraordinarily nimble in, in a world that you have to do that. And I think we're, we're really impressed by that on the media side. And absolutely, it's the conversion of that following into, you know, an actual, you know, in our case, business beyond media, but, but into, you know, a gaming business. That is what you know. We think Penn saw in this brand, and, and what's starting to play out in, in the data that we're watching. So it, it's pretty clear that that DraftKings is is watching the success of Penn and, uh, and Barstool very closely. The company is likely going to have to build up its media personality, its brand presence, and they've been spending big on stringing together media partnerships. Most recently with uh, ESPN, of course, owned by Disney. How do you see the rivalry between these two companies playing out? Yeah, look, I don't think rivalry is probably the right word. I think there's a lot that DraftKings has done right that we would turn around and, and assume that the Penn team and, and the Barstool teams are watching very closely to see what they've done. And, and right now, I think the proving ground is for Penn and Barstool on the technology side to really start to do what DraftKings has been incredibly successful at for, for a number of years, uh, which is digital digital advertising and, and digitally native experiences once you get within the app and within the sports betting environment, right? I, I think, you know, harvesting that, you know, and understanding, you know, testing what your customers want on that platform, knowing when to serve them, the appropriate ads and offers and promotions to get them to do things. That's all stuff that even as a media company, uh, and we think Barstool is as savvy as they come, you still have to learn how to kind of continue that engagement once you're in the platform. And that's a technology problem, right? That's a technology challenge. Um, up to, you know, and, and the original technology challenge was literally just the app launch, but the next one is going to be what they can do within that. And I think DraftKings, when we think of them as a market leader, uh, you know, we certainly do. Uh, FanDuel as well. This is what they're already doing. This is mm-hmm. what these companies are really set up to do, right? Flip that around, and I think where DraftKings may be, you know, learning and looking a little bit at Barstool is, yeah, is this content side, right? This is the media presence side. But but there, here we look at it a little differently. You know, DraftKings, you know, and, and FanDuel to some degree, you know, these large-scale media partnerships are just – they're just customer acquisition grabs, right? There are other ways to promote your brand. You know, what's intriguing about Barstool is it's just effectively, you know, our words or our view, but, you know, guerrilla warfare, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's very digitally native. It's kind of it's kind of that upstart, right? So, you know, when you think about it from the digital perspective, I would look at brands like, you know, perhaps, you know, Axios or, mm. you know, Vice, and say, okay, these are brands that have only come up and built on you know platforms that basically didn't exist ten or fifteen years right. ago. ESPN is the stuff that Sean Kelly watches, right? Yeah. Like, this is the stuff that's actually been around. Capturing my eyeballs, you know, is, is is very different than the audience that I think Barstool brings to the table, and, and through the media that they're even reaching that. And so far, you know, we're not seeing maybe as much overlap between traditional media and, and digital media. I, th- I think they're just entirely different, different strategies. I think it raises the, the question, and, and you brought up a really good point. I mean, yeah, certainly uh, Penn and Barstool have Portnoy and, you know, the buzz around him. But look, they're absolutely late to the game when it comes to the Barstool betting app. DraftKings and FanDuel absolutely dominate market share. Do you think there's a chance that investors at this point could be overestimating Penn's ability to play catch up when it comes to this actual product? It, it's a great question, but, but here's the thing that makes the playing field a little bit 
more level than it would be in, let's call it, other internet-enabled consumer verticals, right? And that's that gaming and, and sports betting in particular is being um, regulated at a state on a state-by-state basis. So right now, where you're behind is primarily in one major market, which is New Jersey, right? And mm-hmm. this has been New Jersey has become the proving ground for all things sports betting, and for the most part, all things related to online casino as well. And, and, and that market today, it makes up over forty, you know, almost forty percent of total online sports betting is just happening in the state, one state, right? However, when a new state opens up, and the next proving ground, then the one that we would highlight for everyone to keep an eye on is going the state of Michigan, hmm. that should open sometime late this year or early next. It's basically a new playing field, right? This is an activity that today you cannot do in the state of Michigan. So if you download the Barstool Sportsbook app, you cannot place a bet if you're outside of the state of Pennsylvania, right? So you can't do this in Michigan. When they say go, when the regulators allow this to occur, it's going to be a much more even playing field. And that and, and that state-by-state nature of this means that, that that initial pop of the lead that you've seen in an internet-enabled business is a little different in sports than what it might have been in, you know, some of the, you know, social media when it first started. Yeah, because those weren't, on, you know, approved on a state-by-state state right? basis. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, so each one, so that gives that ability to, to answer the question directly. That state-by-state, state, you know, process does give some ability to catch up that you might not be used to if you're used to thinking, once a market leader, always a market leader. And trust me, by far the biggest question we get in this vertical is market structure. Is it going to be a winner-takes-most environment where FanDuel and DraftKings, we think, are completely in the driver's seat, especially as it relates to online and sports betting right this moment? Or is it going to be a little bit more fair or balanced? And that's actually the market structure we've seen in much more mature sports betting markets like the UK and uh, you know and Australia. So this is a huge debate out there. This is probably the, the quintessential debate in this vertical, but uh, but the state by state regulate regulatory side is why you know there's some room for these guys to catch up. You're not just as behind as you think you might be. Yeah, you make a really great point, and, and certainly FanDuel and DraftKings and now Barstool is getting a lot of the media attention. But there are some other real competitive threats. The research from Eilers and CraftCheck estimates that. In July, BetMGM parent Roar took roughly 9% in terms of gross gaming revenue share in, in New Jersey, a state that you mentioned, 11% share in Indiana, and a whopping 15 to 20% of the share in, in Colorado. These are all all-time bests for the company. Where do you see BetMGM and Caesars and how they fit into all of this? Yeah, so, you know, look, it's extraordinarily early on estimating how we think market shares are going to play out. And we've we've struck a, a middle tone between the extreme of one or two players take all and the, you know, and probably the very highly fragmented view that we've seen in the UK. And what that means is we do think that these first movers, and really I'm talking about FanDuel and DraftKings, you know, because of the advantage they have with DFS, which is probably the best overlap you could have for a proven, you know, deposit base and, 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 and an active digital wallet of people who have already deposited money to spend on sports, uh, porting that over into the online sports betting environment, that's just a huge advantage. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then these companies are definitely savvy enough to take advantage of that of that advantage. And we think that's probably more important to be, to be clear about the sports betting vertical first, and that's what I'm talking about here. That's probably more important than the brick-and-mortar brands, right? What that means is then there's a next layer down, and we think whether it's Penn and Barstool, 
dead MGM, you know, Caesars and William Hill, and probably a couple of more, there's probably another level down here where everybody's fighting over, you know, maybe looking for 10 or 15 percent market share, a solid number two or number three position. And this is going to vary a lot. Uh, by state, uh, but that's where we would see, frankly, all those brands. Um, you know, Barstool and Penn would be one. You know, again, BetMGM, Caesars. These are relevant. These companies have large balance sheets, have a lot of money to spend, and, and this is the key. The management teams now have the sense of urgency to really spend on this vertical. Like, so, so this is the directive at MGM is get this right and win. Right. And, and we think, you know, even six months ago, let alone a year ago, it was let's see how it plays out, right? And that's a huge difference. And once they decide to get to get into the market, you know, they know what to do. They know how to spend money. They know how to acquire customers. And so, you know, that's what we see MGM doing. Caesar's going to take a little longer. Um, we believe they're working through their agreement with William Hill, but they're going to be here too. They have a bigger database than anyone in the land-based casino industry to activate, to get, to get into this vertical. So they're going to be a player as well. Look, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention esports here. What's your outlook uh, for esports betting and the opportunity there? Yeah, I mean, you know, esports is kind of fascinating, right? It's super, super early stage, but would you think of something that generationally, you know, I'm sitting on the, the wrong side of, right? I'm going to sit here and be like, I just do not understand this, right? Um, <laughs> you know, and then I turn around and I look at what's probably happening for 20 and under or 25 and under. I have young kids, so I haven't seen this firsthand yet. But, you know, what's probably coming in terms of the way that gaming matters to that, you know, to, to that generation. And, and now I'm talking video gaming, not casino gaming. Right. Um, you know, this is going to be a, you know, it, it's likely going to be a big opportunity. Um, I turned this question on to the, uh, to the DraftKings team and said, you know, kind of, if you were to look out to international and esports, you know, what's the most misunderstood opportunity? And I think that's where esports really comes in, right? This is just a generational difference in terms of how people want to be entertained and what they find entertaining. Um, I, but I would say that, you know, as it sits today in terms of provable, provable revenues, you know, esports itself is only a couple billion dollar revenue business. So then, therefore, the betting adjunct to that is likely pretty small. But the growth rates are likely to be, you know, very, very significant. And all sports betting does is a way to enhance engagement, right? And that's what it is for traditional land-based sports. That's what it's going to be for esports, too. It's going to be a way to take something that's entertaining but may not be entertaining at the same level longitudinally across the whole experience of watching a game and make it more exciting, make it more engaging. I mean, the best thing for traditional media right now is that if you've got a sports event that was a total blowout, you can't keep the customers engaged or you can't keep the, the audience engaged. Now with sports betting, you can because there's an outcome that's still in jeopardy even if the, you know, the actual game itself was already long since over. And, and that's the key here. And it'll be the same for three esports. Sean, it's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating space to watch. Uh, there's probably nobody who knows more about the business side of it uh, and equity side of it than you. And we are so happy that you joined us today on the Voices of Wall Street podcast. Thanks so much. And that's going to do it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sean Kelly, Senior Research Analyst for Gaming and Lodging at Bank of America. As always, this episode was produced and edited and more by Mike Teich. Thanks so much for listening to the Voices of Wall Street podcast.